In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll consider the epistle to go from Acts chapter 16. I'd invite you, if you'd like, to open up your service folders to that reading and follow along with it throughout the course of the sermon. How much do the cities of Chicago and ancient Philippi have in common? They both are next to big bodies of water. Chicago right by Lake Michigan. Philippi a little bit far removed from the Aegean Sea, but it's close. They both have rivers. But the biggest similarities come with the types of people living in each town. Here you have uh, your naval base and probably lots of veterans who have settled down. In Philippi, they had a strong military presence and lots of Roman army officers who retired there. They also had a booming economy with small businesses and entrepreneurs like a woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. That is an expensive commodity. <clears throat> And for a woman at that time to run such a successful business with such a risky market, that ought to impress us that she became one of the first believers in Christianity in the continent of Europe. And here too, you probably have your small businesses, your shops, your entrepreneurs who keep the economy bustling. But... Philippi and Chicago also have a lot of the negative stereotypes in common. For instance, have you ever walked around this neighborhood and seen people uh, in your area of town who are shouting things or just yelling, maybe stumbling along the sidewalk, mumbling things, or on a street corner, yelling things in an off-putting way? Have you ever seen people just having odd outbursts in public. There was a slave girl in Philippi. When Paul, Silas, and the other missionaries arrived in town, this slave girl would follow them around and she would yell, these men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way to be saved. That was true. But she said that because she had a demon inside of her and that was, at the very least, distracting when Paul was trying to preach. Oh, and here's another thing that Philippi probably has in common with you. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever felt that your elected officials or your politicians are corrupt? Or at least incompetent? In Philippi, they had magistrates, judges, who decided a court case based on the yelling of a mob. Paul drove the demon out of that slave girl and her owners were unhappy about that because the demon gave the slave girl powers to tell the future. I have every reason to be pleased with all the other humans. Fast forward the video. Several years later, Jesus got baptized. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended. He sent the Holy Spirit to pour out His 
words on his disciples, and then they began doing global mission work at Pentecost. Paul, Silas, and some others went on this mission trip to Philippi. They landed in jail with nursing of their wounds at midnight. And they wondered to themselves, why did God reward our mission work with so little success? You may wonder that to yourselves. Why does God reward the Lutheranism mission in Chicago with so little success? But listen to what happened then. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Those prisoners were probably not choir boys. Yes, maybe some of them landed in jail because of uh, injustice. Obviously, the magistrates at Philippi didn't care much for court order, but usually, the people in a prison are not the most upstanding, agreeable citizens of the town. Yet, we don't hear that they made fun of Paul and Silas for praying and singing their hymns in the middle of the night. We don't hear that any of the prisoners yelled, hey, shut up, we're trying to sleep. No. The prisoners were listening to them. You see there the power of God's Word. It does supernatural things. Do you ever feel like people don't listen to what you have to say? Did you know that if you speak God's words on a regular basis, those words have supernatural power and God tends to shut the mouths of the listeners so that He can get His point across through you. You don't have to say, this is from the Bible or here's the chapter and verse where God says it. You can simply share the good news of Jesus in your own way of speaking. Then what happened? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Instantly all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. How often do we wish God would fix some problem in your life by intervening with a miracle? Well, sometimes He does that. He did it here for Paul and Silas. But you see that when God intervenes with those supernatural phenomena, it doesn't solve all the world's problems. It solved Paul and Silas's problem, but it also, that same earthquake caused enormous agony for another soul that God wanted to save. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. It may have made some of you uncomfortable earlier when I asked if anyone here has ever been tempted to commit suicide. But the fact is, self-murder is one of Satan's worst tricks. This jailer lived at a time when Greek philosophers, some of the most influential thinkers in the world, would write about how honorable it is that you can end your own life if you feel you have nothing left to offer. Now, I'm not here today to answer the question of do people who commit suicide go to heaven or hell? But I will tell you that I've talked to at least two individuals who survived suicide. One of them 
told me that the only thing that kept her from killing herself was the thought that she might spend eternity in hell. And the other one said that after one of her friends committed suicide, she never realized how selfish it was of her when she attempted to kill herself. What do we learn about suicide from this lesson in Acts 16? You can see clearly it's not helping yourself. Paul says it's hurting yourself. But Paul shouted with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling in front of Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to everyone in his home. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Without delay, he and all his family were baptized. Then he brought Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them. He rejoiced because he and his whole household had come to believe in God. We all think that we know what will make us the most happy. Well, this prison guard had a lot of those things. He had a family, a home, a job, other possessions. Yet none of that stopped him or filled the void of hopelessness that drove him to want to kill himself. What did save him? Jesus getting baptized saved him and his whole family. Because Jesus came down into the water with us. He joined Paul and Silas in their prison cell because he also was beaten and put in a prison cell. He joined the jailer in his dark moments because Jesus also felt deep sadness on this earth. And Jesus joins you through your baptism so that He feels all of your sadness with you too. But the wonderful thing is, He doesn't leave us in our places of darkness. He came into the water of baptism with you so that He could shoulder all the guilt that you feel, all the mistakes of your life. And He took those sins on Himself. And at His cross, He hurled them into the abyss of hell and then He slammed the gate of hell, the door shut on top of it so that that guilt and those sins can never escape. No earthquake will open up those doors. God promises you today through Christ's baptism that connects Him to your baptism, I have fixed your biggest problem. And I am in the middle of fixing all your other problems. They will be solved real soon. Amen.